This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. First of all, I want to let you know that I have a show at Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles on December 14th. It is the last one of the year. I don't even honestly think I'm performing anywhere else in the whole world for the rest of 2019. Worldwide final show, December 14th at Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles. Please attend. You can get tickets at CameronEsposito.com. Also, why haven't you pre-ordered my book? I'm yelling at you. This is yelling, screaming, get it, get it together. Go to saveyourselfbook.com and for God's sake, I don't know, look, you're honestly, you really back me up usually. I don't know why I'm so upset today. I went to Argentina, I got a stomach bug and I'm very sweaty. I don't feel good. And I really want you to just help me out. Anyway, um, Look, today's episode of the show is a fantastic interview with Arlen Hamilton. Um, Arlen's got a new book coming up called It's About Damn Time. It's in pre-order right now and also is an incredibly impressive person and venture capitalist. I think you are going to love this chat. I loved this chat. And hey, happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you, the audience. Bye. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still So I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Um, Sure. I'm Arlen Hamilton. I am really homosexual. I'm also the uh, managing partner and founder of Backstage Capital and Backstage Studio. Can you tell me more about Backstage Capital? Because I think it is very impressive, and I would like our listeners to have some context. Yeah, so... um, I'm I'm 39, and for for most of my life, including up until about 35, I didn't really have any. I didn't have it together, but I was always kind of searching and seeking, uh, and connecting. And I I worked in many different industries, but along the way, I came across the startup world, a tech startup world. I came across what venture capital meant in that world just by observing and being curious and then researching like a maniac. And um, when I discovered the startup world, Silicon Valley, all of that a few years ago, I also discovered that more than 90% of all venture funding, so the funding that is the innovative early capital um, and growth capital, was going to straight white men when we all know that that is not what is represented in the country and globally. And it didn't make any sense to me. And I'm, I'm a pretty, I have this com- combination of creativity and, and, and logic, and the logic part was not matching up. So I said, hmm, well, I have no money um, at all. So I, I can't write any checks. Uh, truly, I had no money. I was uh, in and out of having a place to live. I was on food stamps, uh, you know, for a while. And at the same time, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I can't believe anybody, nobody else is talking about this. So I started talking about it, asking questions, reaching out to people. And I would get these weird answers from these guys. It was mostly guys, right? And they were mostly white. And they were mostly in California or New York or Boston. And they would just say weird things like, we don't talk about race here. Or we don't talk about gender orientation here. And I was like, well, that's that's easy. You know, that's pretty uh, convenient. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just want to slow you down for one tiny sure, second because sure. I want to because first of all, this is amazing. I think I want to get a little more context on. So first of all, I am sorry that I laughed because I actually thought you were speaking hyperbolically. But then it's like, no, no, you you were speaking very literally. No, I was um, broke, broke. Yeah, and yeah. so so you were actually facing housing instability. Absolutely. At the time? Oh yeah. And where were you living geographically? At this time, when I was like learning about it and reaching out to people, it would have been uh, Pearland, Texas, which is is part of Houston. And is that where you grew up? I grew up in Dallas. Uh, born in Mississippi, grew up in Dallas, and then and then found my way to Houston, where my mom was living. 
So where were you doing? Like, I just want to get the, I want to get the visual sure, in my mind yeah, I, I about like, where sure. were you doing this research or sending these emails from, mm-hmm. you know, like, like where, where, are, where are you in the moment where you're reaching out to folks in Silicon Valley? Yeah. So I had um, kind of worked my way up in the live music production place, which is a whole other story. I also, you know, have that backstory. Um, and I was, you know, at, in my Pearland Houston, Texas apartment place with my mom living as roommates. And I had a blow-up bed, like an inflatable mattress. I had a little, like it was like the, one of those little TVs you get from like a Walgreens or Rite Aid or something. And it was like the size of, you know, a mirror. <laughs> and I had it propped up on a bar stool in my bedroom. And I had a whiteboard. And I would teach myself... um like homeschooling about all these, all the jargon and all the, all the the players involved. They had index cards, and I was, uh, you know, working and and not working. And what was your teacher. education background? I was a really um, academically really good student, very bright young person, and and uh, you know, middle school, high school. Um, but I did, and I got into some colleges, but I did not attend college uh, for because of other financial instabilities and issues then. Um, so I have a high school um, diploma. I attended um, community college for a couple of um, uh, credits, mostly just because I thought I was supposed to. And, and then the rest of it was just like hard knocks, life. Mm-hmm. Making my way, traveling, um, yeah. I was like a artist, but like a starving artist without the art. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I guess. Did you have an? Even when you were at community college or in high school, were you interested in like I don't even know economics or math or you know? Yeah. Uh, was this like a general field yeah. of interest? So while I certainly never said one day of my life I would like to be a venture capitalist. Um, I was playing Monopoly and obsessed with Monopoly when I was like in the th- second or third grade. <laughs> like I would uh, like force people to play that with me. And Richard Branson was my hero starting at like 13. One of my heroes starting at like 13. Ani DeFranco and Janet Jackson were also my heroes because of their business acumen. So I was paying attention to what they were doing. Prince as well. Um, and then I was I was really quick with like just kind of fundamental math. I was always ahead of the class there and reading levels as well. And I was just a hyper curious kid. But I, um, you know, don't put me into like an algebra class and don't put me, don't put a spreadsheet in front of me because it doesn't just, it doesn't interest me. It's not something I'm interested in. But I think I was just had a fundamental kind of um, uh, um, ability in, in that. Yeah. It was an interest for sure. I thought about business, you know, and business is such a broad term, but I was always, I was always creating things. I had a candy business in the third grade. I, you know, I, I, I undercut 7-Eleven while giving, um, <laughs> yes. while making a profit from bulk or order, you know, stores. And it, so what, I was, this is nine, eight years old. Nine what'd your mom, do, what does your mom do? Um, she's retired now, but she worked in telecommunications for most of her life. Prior to that, she was an air traffic control person, one of the only women, and especially women of color at the time. This would have been in the 70s. And um, and then she went on to be like a, a local judge at different um, um, election um I don't know why I don't know the words today, but the, she was a like a local judge for elections in, in, in Texas in the, in the last few years. You know, I guess I asked that question because, I mean, and I like that you named some folks that you thought had the sort of business practices or like acumen that you were interested in. I mean, my, I, my background is um, my dad is a small business owner. Mm. So then when I started um, doing comedy, I always approached it from a small business perspective. Like yes. I think it actually, I think this really affected the way that I started my job and the way that I still do my job, which is that um, I've always been kind of running on like a parallel track to what is the mainstream uh, comedy culture because I don't necessarily look to um, the systems that exist as the 
scaffolding that I'm going to use. Um, and I think that that is unusual. And I think it comes from having this small business background, but then also being somebody who didn't necessarily see the exact path that I was supposed to follow. So I'm just like, well, I'll just build it sort of next to yeah. what, what they're all doing. Um, yeah, that speaks to me. I mean, that's, and that it's both in, in relating to that and, and feeling that way and also observing people like you who are doing, who are doing that type of thing. I was seeing that coming up. And to me, the fact that those minds were not being fueled with the capital and resources that they needed to do big things, while other people, yes, some of them were brilliant, but a lot of them were just doing back of napkin, let's give it a whirl. And because of their profile, we're getting all these resources. That was really the crux of it all. Oh my God, what is the WeWork guy's name? I just was walking past. Yes, I'm so, so, thank you for having that on the, I mean, that is to me, I think like this, um, sort of ultimate example of what you're talking about, because I'm sure there are some listeners who know what we're speaking about. But I also think that this sort of venture capital, Silicon Valley, like all this stuff is so, um, it's like when you realize that four developers own all of the yep. land yeah. in a city. You yeah. know, like I think for for if you don't know that, you're just like, oh, rent is, you know, mm-hmm. a certain way. And then once you realize it's like, it's actually just that a, that a small group of people, you know, know each other, are all interconnected and marrying each other, and are, and like have yeah. been working together and trading. And most you know. of those people have a legacy company, yes. so that they inherited yes. in one way or another exactly what they're doing. Because yes, people who are it's funny because the people who kind of agitated the system originally to create those legacies were more like us. They were more the outsiders. They were more immigrants. They were more this and that. And they agitated what was very much so uh, an old school way of thinking. They made all this money because they were different, where they were bold. And then for so long, people coasted on that. And that's, of course, broad. Some people are not. Some people are innovative today. But mostly, they coasted on that. And then now they're the old guard. And Mm -hmm. so, to me, this is why things are so ripe for disruption today. This is why the outsider and the free thinker can become the legacy maker. Yes, I I hear you. I mean, I I will say, like, until all of this news broke about Adam Newman, I didn't know what he looked like. Like, that just wasn't something that I could have called up in my brain. Yeah. And then once I saw a picture of him and— and realized that he had been given $9 million with, like, no strings attached. Mm-hmm. And then I saw what, I'm like, yeah, no, I, that, oh, th- this guy? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly who I think it is. He's a tall, tall. Yeah. like, slim, <laughs> yeah. long, free-flowing-haired white dude. Like, of course, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. So you were seeing this, and then you're trying to engage with people, write with people. They're saying, first of all, I also totally have had the experience that you're talking about of, we don't even talk about you know, race or or sex. We we just hire the the best. The it's a meritocracy. The job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. Yep. Show um, me that. Show me that room. <laughs> yes. So then, what is the thing that you did next after you're getting those responses? I'm getting those responses. I'm I'm just kind of ideating on what what would it look like? Because to me, I would you know today I'm like immersed in it and it's very natural to me. But back then I was like, this is crazy. How can I be the one? to break this wide open, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. So my original thought was I'll do a bunch of research, I'll make a lot of connections, and I'll be someone's caddy, for for lack of a better term. I'll be someone's sidekick who can really go in and and turn things out, right? Because I'll I'll be able to tell them which way the wind is blowing. And yes. then I just wasn't getting anyone who was taking me seriously enough. There were a few people who who knew that I was smart and knew that I was creative and probably would do something. But most people, 99%, were just like, yeah, you're right. Those black people do need that charity. You sh- this will be a great nonprofit one day. And you're a good soul for trying. And I was like, no, what, you- what I'm saying is black people are being underestimated. They're going to win. And don't you want a piece of that now? Right? Like, don't you want to accelerate that now? Black people, brown people, people, uh, women across the board, LGBTQ. I was saying everything that I was, I knew was, um, was just ripe for disruption itself and then, um, was going to, was going to win eventually. Cause I knew I was going to win and I knew we were going to win. I had yeah. the luxury of being surrounded by, um, all of those people. I had the luxury of, of knowing, 
hella lesbians. Uh, (laughs) Too many, if you ask me. Um, (laughs) Honestly, diversify if you can. Yeah, Um, exactly. No, I mean, that's, you know, what's funny to me about what you're saying, though, is, and and the next question I want to ask you is, what is your next step out of that? But before I get there, I just want to say that I still feel like, and of course it's, of course this is I still feel, but but every time I think maybe just in terms of in terms of money alone, somebody is gonna look at a success story and realize that they could apply that logic to another person. You know, like like for instance, uh Black Panther is a huge hit, then um Us is a huge hit. Monster hits in separate categories in the same year or wait is is Black Panther 2018 us is 2019 anyway both of them breaking records and it's still and of course it still feels like these are chances you know that mm-hmm. that as opposed to this is a new normal I mean I feel that way as a you know as a comic all the time that I, I look at the people that are being bet on and it's still like the same faces and then there's like that one seat at the table for me or whatever yeah and you and I are competing for that yeah um and I I just wonder if you have any Thoughts about what would need to change for these proofs of concept to be taken seriously? Yeah, so I sometimes um, am um, accused of being too optimistic and giving too much credit. But what I think is we have to really be honest about how much has changed in the last five years. When I'm And what I'm talking about, I'm talking about in, in venture and investing in startup land. But you, the same could be said for where we are in entertainment. I I was not allowed to speak or given permission to speak the fact that I'm gay in emails to white men who who held all of the purse strings five years ago. Today, those same people call me and ask me for favors. Today, I can knock one of them off of a speaking queue and take their their fee, right? That's change, and that's not just my change. It's the, the, the whole industry is, is changing. It's not changing fast enough for any of us. It's not, you know, we, we deserve much, much more. But it is changing, and I feel like the accelerated way in which the first 70 years or so of venture capital was, was a very certain way and very little change. The last five years have been remarkable change, partly because of what Backstage has done, and also because so many others have been doing the work and are now being brought to light. I think the next five years, so the next five years to me, what if the next five, what if the next two years are equal to the last five years? And then after that, the next one year, I think that's what's going to happen. I think there's a formula. And again, I wouldn't be the one to come up with the formula, but I think there is a formula of the rate of change. And that is what makes me optimistic. That is what tells me something is going to change and things are going to be very different. And one of those things that has to change, to answer your question, is, yes, more of those success stories, um, and they're happening more and more. And what the the coolest part is that no, like very few people are seeing who are like straight white dudes, who I work with every day and we have this conversation, is – we're not going to sit you you didn't sit around and say well no one's picking me so i'm just going to stop i'm never going to write anything i'm never going to go out you made your own lane you said f this let's go that's what we're doing in innovation right now in tech we're creating our own you see people like people in our portfolio who who just couldn't get more funding outside of us and they go out and they do crowdfunding for a million dollars and they have now this whole group of people all over the country who have no idea who, if I said to you, uh, um, Mark Andreessen and, and um, you know, uh, John Doerr, who, who knows who those guys are? They're cool. I mean, uh, Mark is cool. John is not. I'll say that. Um, <laughs> but you don't, but the, this person I'm talking about in our portfolio who now has 2,000 backers who each put in $100, $200 who own a piece of it. It's not just a Kickstarter. They own it. That is a revolution starting. So it's going to happen whether these people that 
today own the purse strings and hold the purse strings are involved or not. And I really believe that's the way it'll end up happening with entertainment. I don't know if it'll be on the same timeline, but I think we're going to make our own. I mean, short of burning everything down to the ground, I mean, that's where we are right now. Yeah. I, well, I appreciate, first of all, I appreciate you um, doing that translation, the mental translation, because for me, I speak about entertainment because it's number one, it's those are the names I know and the things I know. And number two, you know, the, um, movies are actually investments. And I think we we don't talk about that a lot, but they they are. And so, you know, when I look mm-hmm. at when I think about how to understand your business, because I don't have as much understanding, um, I think about how to how. We don't even talk about the entertainment industry as like no these are these are essentially businesses or stocks you know these are these are things that you're buying a piece of because you're hoping for a return like this Absolutely. isn't actually just like art made in the wind and I think um, we talk about it like as if it's like taste that you know just affects uh, you know posters or nonsense yeah. but it's like no no this affects bank accounts you yeah, know it's, like it's, you know a good example like, Steve Mnuchin is like he that that person there there's a reason that he you know, put his money where he's st- where he did. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say a good example of that is Booksmart that I just uh, yes. saw where like you're, if you watch the case study of Booksmart, it's a great, it's, it's like watching a case study of a portfolio company because it's going to have the money that was put in, like just like you're saying, like the money that was put in to make it and then to promote it. And then how does it do in theaters? But then how does it do in these other, other distribution channels and it's just, uh, and then what happens to that team? Do they get to go out again? Do they get to to live another day? Yes, it's uh, it's interesting, and yeah, it's very very similar. Yeah, yeah, and I'm but interested wanna, in both. I want to hear more about. Um, okay, so we know that you you know are right on the cusp of realizing that there's an issue, and and tell me how you stepped forward and started doing the work that you are doing right now. Yeah, a lot of it was it was years of research and years of of going around and asking and, and getting told no. I had multiple no's, hundreds hundreds of no's, and that each one kind of taught me something and made me stronger and all of that. It was a it was a, a Christina Aguilera song in every step. <laughs> and the question that you're asking that you were being told no is, give me your money. I mean, like I think we have to break this down even. Yeah, I'll break like, it down s- like slower. Yeah, because so I, what I was proposing a- to people. A dummy. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, this is just a, I didn't know what this was, this land yeah. was, which a few years yeah. ago. I had no idea. What I was what I was proposing to people who mostly I didn't know already, didn't have these networks. I was just kind of cold calling, cold emailing, going to, setting up meetings. And I was saying to them, you don't know me. I don't have any background in this at all whatsoever. But I've been reading and I have some sense. And what I think is, what I know about venture capital so far, your world, is that if you have an edge, if you have a look at differentiated deal flow, other types of companies that not every investor gets to see, because you get to see things that are outside of the mainstream and then pick a couple of them that, to go on to be a WeWork or, you know, in that time, right? And I have a ton of that. Because I'm seeing all these companies that are definitely not getting in front of you or your friends, and they're doing things. They're already making money because they're so resilient and scrappy. And so I think my theory, I'm saying this at the time, I'm saying my theory is it'll be more and more people and companies like this that'll win in a few years. And so early days, can can you give me some money? So that I can choose those companies and put a little bit of capital behind them and kind of take some of their equity. And then over time, as they grow in value, we will see a return on that because the value would have been much bigger than what we paid for. And this is what happens all day long with other funds. This is what essentially funds are saying, but they're not saying what I was saying that was different was I'm only going to invest in underrepresented people. And what every other that. every other fund was saying, there may be one percent, two percent in our portfolio that happened to get in. So I was like, let's yeah. just turn this on its head and see what happens. And I was asking millionaires and billionaires for this, and most of them said no. <laughs> right, for years. I mean, but what you're saying makes so much sense to me, and I um, 
you know, I think it's I think it's really important because earlier you were talking about you said, you know, I think you used the word charity, you know, like, yes, ch- this is a nonprofit that will provide charity for black folks. And you're saying um, and I think this is something we 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 do not do even about ourselves as marginalized people enough is talk about how it is an asset that we know different groups of people that we have different reference points and that we're aware of we have different cultural knowledge you know 100%. because i think i think it's so often it's like well your 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 best value will be the most you can disappear into the void of straight white cisgender maleness like that that is your your highest value is when you can you know lose your own identity to move as close to that understanding as possible. And I, and it's so backward, right? Because what we have actually to offer is like, no, like I can sell tickets to gay people, like specifically lesbians. Which is not easy to do. Specifically, lesbians (laughs) will leave their homes to come see me and they won't go see, you know, like whoever. I mean, I just any name. Like yeah. Jim Norton, I don't know any name of any of any comic. So it's not it's not that I'm fighting for the same piece of the pie as everyone else. It's mm-hmm. that here's a, did you even know there were other pies? Yeah, there's all these other pies over here. Exactly. Do you want some of this? And exactly. I think that that's what I love about what you're saying and why I you know it's exactly how I look at the world. It, it make, makes perfect sense to me that um, that then that would lead you to success. So tell me when you started getting yeses. So it was, I was, um, and I I have to start by saying I do not recommend this. I am seriously saying, please do not try to emulate me. Um, This was something that I had to make the decision to do, but I was living at the San Francisco airport. And um, it was it was not fun or any kind of movie of the week. (laughs) Um, But... I kind of had hit this point of like, oh my, what am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to eat next. I don't know where I'm going to live. Um, but I still knew after years that I was right about this. I knew that this had to exist. And I knew that it had to exist with or without me. So that was what, I, that was what told me it had to exist, right? So I had been talking to this angel investor. It was a woman named Susan. And she lived in San Francisco. And I hadn't told her about all of this because I didn't need her to know the personal side of things. But I kind of went to her in a last minute kind of Hail Mary of, look, if I can make this deal at this other place, like just prove you something, prove something to you, will you back me? She said, yeah, I'll take a look at it if you can make this deal happen because it's kind of hard to do. I won't say what it was. but So I went in and like a day later made the deal happen because I was just like all guns blazing. I just had to make this work. And she, she came in and she put in $25,000. Um, for me to invest in a company. And then she put in an additional $25,000 for me to set up shop and to, to not have to be homeless and to, to, to have a, you know, an office, a virtual office, basically. And that lasted me a very long time because I knew how to make that last. And to give you some context, uh, there are multi-billion dollar venture funds. There are multi- hundreds of millions of dollars of venture funds, and there are 50 to $100 million venture funds. There are very few venture funds that are started with 25K. And um, so I was starting small, but as soon as I, as soon as I got that, I knew I was onto something. And I knew that I, if, you, if I could get one yes, I'll get 100. Wow. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! So that 25K, you said you invested in one company? Yeah. So the the minimum I was going to invest was 25K because, again, people were making 150K to $5 million investments. So I said, I need to be on the board. 
And 25K, to me, I know that that can move the needle for a company. So that was like the lowest, but I, I did. So I... Um, she actually, Susan actually introduced me at the same time she was wiring that money. She was making a couple of introductions for me. And those two next people she introduced me to also put in some capital and it was, it was slightly more. And so I was on, I was now set up. I had a long way to go, but I was, I was in business. And this was uh, fall of 2015. Fall of 2015. So when did... Or I guess the, a different way of saying it is, so you're 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 on the board. You're making your first investments, and then and then you're getting more investments. So sounds like you had a couple investors, three investors, something like that at that point. And then what did you do? What did you do next? Did you go back to some of the same people? Did you try to go to new folks? Like how do you grow from there? Yeah, further? the whole time I had been doing this, I think this is the the most important part to take from this is that for those three years where I was getting all the no's and people were, and I was feeling like, you know, about one inch tall, I never stopped talking with, researching, and working with founders because they were my customer at the end of the day. I never stopped that process of knowing why I was doing this. And so when I got that first check, I had a queue. I had a long list of people who wanted me to invest in them, and I wanted to invest in them after seeing multiple. I invest about 2% of what I see. So what I did next was I made an investment. I became the investor. I did that part of the business. Simultaneously, I had also been working on my presentation. So I had this pitch deck, you know, this PDF of slides that explained what I was doing. And now I was able to add investors to those slides. And those investors actually, you know, came from pretty interesting companies. And so they had some cachet. And I just brick by brick, day by day, stayed very measured. And I said, what if I were rich? I put myself, I like, you know, have a pretty good imagination. If I were rich, <laughs> what would I need to hear to make me not sound like a maniac? <laughs> <laughs> So kind of, you know, started thinking like, how do I, because I know what I'm talking about. I believe in me. I know I'm going to be able to do this. <clears throat> I also was saying at the time, I'm going to, going to invest in 100 companies by 2020. People thought I was out of my mind. You're living Where at the airport. Now? Where are you now? 130. And we did 100. We, met, we reached 100 May 2018, so two years ahead of time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I knew this was going to happen. In the moment, they didn't. And Susan, especially, I give her so much credit for taking that risk. Today, I talk about being someone's first yes. Because I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm sure I embarrass her by mentioning her so much. She's like, so many people have invested in you since then. I've invested the probably the least amount. And I'm like, I'll never, ever, ever forget that amount. It was the thing. So anyway, so I, I went on and just, I did call some people that I had been talking to, um, it was it was a combination of new people and old people and some people who had ended up investing I had been talking to for years and they were just like okay <laughs> wow okay yeah I wore them down basically so what so where what is the size of the fund now so it was multiple funds because of all sorts of things because this really was a brick by brick uh, thing but ultimately I have raised about 10 million dollars a little over 10 million now um and multiple funds to invest in those 130 companies. We've invested between 25,000 and 100,000 in each of them across the country and in, in uh, Europe and uh, Canada. And, um, and, and recently this year, I led a round that was a $3 million round in a, in a company led by a black woman that I also brought in Mark Cuban and Serena Williams to the deal. And so you know, hopefully over time, we just build and build on things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> Man. Well, first of all, I just have to say this has nothing to do with anything, but I, <laughs> I once shot an episode of James Corden with Mark Cuban, and that person is, that person looks you directly in the eye and says your name 82 times when he meets you. <laughs> I, like, loved the, like, by the book businessman that I could, like, first of all, he's very charming. I felt Mark, affected, yeah. but it really worked. Like, his, like, you know, like, yeah, 
Cameron, great to meet you, Cameron. Nice to yeah. see you, Cameron, Cameron, Cameron. You know, like, I'm like, that, yes. The only person who's ever said my name more times meeting me was Cory Booker. That person said my name <laughs> wow. many they, times. They both read The Art of War, I think, is what's yeah, happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, how are, okay, here's, this is, this is a side question. How are you doing as a human? I want to I hear some, and anything that you feel comfortable saying about like what is your personal financial situation right now? I know you, oh, right you do now. like speaking gigs. Yeah, right now. How are you today? It's funny. In that area? Um, it's funny because I, uh, I I don't mind talking about it at all. I from the time up until I was thirty five, I made less per year than I make in one speaking gig today. So I am um, personally going to. I have a podcast called Your First Million, and and. I will be able to be a guest on it in 2020. Um, I am personally okay. The funny thing is, though, because we're still this scrappy going up the hill, I most of the money that I make, I put back into, if I'm not putting it towards my family, I'm putting it to, back into backstage. So I I don't sit around and, like, point at things and say, buy me that. You sure. know, it's not like that. But I, I feel very, um, I, every single day, I look out at the apartment that I have with my wife. I look out and I actually overlook the the street that I used to walk and pace years ago when I had no money when I lived in LA. And I would pace it for hours until a friend of mine would come home and I'd get to go kind of crash on their couch. I overlook that now in my on the uh top floor of of the building I'm in. So I don't um, I, th- I think it's in, it's I'm confronted with the with the change quite often, and I I feel like it, it was it was four four a little over four years ago that I lived at the airport, but to me it feels like it was a month ago. Still feels very visceral, and um, yeah, I, I make I make my money through I have a, a book deal which was a pretty great deal. Um, it was less than a million, but six figures. I have speaking uh, a speaking career, and I'm in demand right now. And I don't take for granted that that will always be the case. So I, I choose those wisely. And I also have some production um, things that I'm working on in, in media. When you say production things in media, can you talk about even what category they're in? Um, like television, film? So uh, the podcast I can talk about all day long. So I have my own podcast and I'm also yes. producing a, a couple of other podcasts that will come out in 2020. And those are, because of the way I think about business, I made sure that I have uh, majority ownership of those uh, in those categories. And then and I'm just learning, you know, I'm just kind of learning um, sure. from people like yourself. And then um, I have, I can't talk too much about it, but I am, I'm very interested in, in executive producing and in producing uh, television, film, um, things of that nature. And so I'm, I have kind of, I'm being, I'm being taught by a few people where I would be, you know, what the rules are, just kind of like venture. And I'm thinking about, okay, what makes the most sense in doing what I want to do, which is catalyze the voices and the prosperity of underrepresented people? One way to me is in amplifying their voices through media. And so if I can, um, you know, be behind the scenes and, and, and help someone maybe in our portfolio get some sort of deal, or if I can um, uh, document what we're doing or what someone else is doing or even be the um, inspiration for something that's scripted to me being off camera and being behind the scenes and having ownership in those types of things is really interesting that makes all the sense in the world wow i mean i'm really first of all i'm really glad thank you i'm grateful that you were uh able to talk about how you're doing personally because i also think that you know um for a lot of folks that I just don't think – I think there's an expectation almost that um, – I don't know. Just given all the details you've told me so far, almost that you would be the type of person who would take care of yourself last. You oh, know? no. And, and, I, no. and I think that is unfair, right? You know, like that's an unfair thing for – to be put on you when that's not put I, on an equivalent person. Yeah, I kind of uh, – I make a big deal about self-care and all of that and, 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 and because I, I have to. 
I'm always, I, since I was young and had no money, I've always been that person that people call on to help them. I <sighs> just have always been that person. Family, friends, uh, even when I used to drink and we were wasted in West Hollywood, I, as wasted as I was, I was the one that got everybody home and made sure everybody got into the cab before there's Uber, right? So it, it's always been that role. And when this started happening, I was like, I can't be any good to anybody if I'm burned out. I mean, I've had moments, believe me, in the last four years where I've been so burnt out and so to the point where I'm like, I'm going to have to go to the emergency room because I just is terrible. And I, I kind of talked to myself one day and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. You can't be everything to everyone. You're doing a lot. So you take care of yourself. So I just do very calm things. And when it comes to money, I've made the I've made the personal decision that I will continue to to put the majority of it reinvested into backstage, which makes the current situation very like I'm still kind of, you know, I know what I know exactly what my bank account looks like. Let's put it like that. I still look at my bank account every single day because of that. But I also believe that in my 40s, my 50s, I'll be a, a, a very wealthy person because of it. Yes. Good. <laughs> and I think, I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, I would, I could probably, maybe I should just put you on my podcast because I would just love to know how you think about it. Just as an observer, just seeing bits and pieces and then more and more recently to, to think about how you, the, the, super interesting that you think about it as a company. Like you're the CEO, probably literally, of your company, but you're yeah, also right. the, the CEO of your life and and how you think about it. And then what you see happens next. I mean, is it in ownership? Is it in like writing your own things and creating your own opportunities? Yeah. So like you, I have um, the things that I work on, I usually have retained majority ownership in. Nice. Um, I solely own this podcast. Um, and that's because I started it elsewhere and ported it to the current um, mm. distributor. And, and yeah. And I think, you know, the thing is, is that um, I am the CEO of my own company, as so many people are who are like I'm an LLC. Yeah. Um, and I think that what is, you know, what we also have in common, it's not exactly the same, but if you're doing speaking engagements, it is. And if you're thinking about, you know, I heard scripted, I, you know, if you're thinking about those things, if you're writing books, it is. It's unusual when you're the product and you're also the seller, you know, the salesperson. Um, and I think that that is. Um, what can be so exhausting. And I also mm. think it can be, you can, you know, for me, I think the temptation is also, I think I have to, sometimes I feel I have to present a certain lifestyle that then also it's like I'm contributing it into it from my business. Like, I'll give you an mm -hmm. example. Um, if I'm, if there's gonna be photographs taken of me, I have to be wearing like a, an outfit that, yeah. you know, that's, that looks, the dress. that yes. looks like tailored on me. I have to have, um, usually makeup done, not because I'm so vain, but if you stand next to a bunch of folks who've had their under eye bags covered and you haven't had your under eye bags covered, you're preaching you the choir. Look, you look very sick. <laughs> you look <laughs> ill and like you are not well. So I just think, you know, there's a lot of, like, just business-wise, the investment in keeping, you know, this body going or, like, this haircut going and all that stuff, it's so silly that that is part of the whole thing, and it and it really is. And then the things that I want to do as an artist, you know, are the—I'm trying to sell my second book right now, mm -hmm. and I'm working on a new hour of material, and, and hopefully that will also become a show. And all of that stuff is— I'm the engine for that thing. Mm -hmm. And just I'm hearing, you know, how much of an engine you've been in your own success. And I think the last question that I really want to ask you um, is on this topic, which is, you know, I heard you saying, you know, one inch tall and getting all these no's. And I really, I really am floored by being able to maintain self-esteem, your ability to maintain self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Because... You're a human being. Like, yes, you you know, you had this great idea that you really believed in, but I, I assume you're a person who sometimes feels bad about, I, badly I am about person, themselves, yeah. you know? And so, like, <laughs> what, you know, if you, if you, um... How? In your darkest days, yeah, yeah, or your, like, days. And I don't even mean, when I say darkest, I don't mean external things like the airport versus some... I mean, like, the days where you just feel like, I, 
I don't know that I am this person I think I am. Mm-hmm. What What do you do? Yeah, um, so there's a few things come to mind, but succinctly, first of all, I've never, I mean, fortunately, good thing is that I've never suffered for from imposter syndrome. I think it has to do with my mom so early on just, you know, thinking that I hung the moon and <laughs> giving me this confidence. And I was such, I was loud when I was a little kid. I spoke up for myself. I, I was like, no, that is not the right price. And you will give my mother the right price at four. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was like that. So I think that was helpful. But I have had some really, really dark moments. And most of the darkest moments come from feeling like I have, I have a super high tolerance for risk. But when I put other people on the line for my tolerance, that's when I, usually that's when it's the hardest. And not to be facetious, I think some of it has to do with being gay. And some of it has to do with being black. And some of it has to do with you, you, you're all these years growing up in Texas, every single day of my life, I had someone who had a problem with me, you know, and so I kind of built this, this, both this tough skin that it takes a while to get to me. And then second, internally, I can, I can talk myself out of a lot of situations of spinning. Now, I've also um, suffered a lot of, um, in my 20s, I, it wasn't as, as good at that. And so I had a lot of near misses. And I learned from those. And I feel stronger from those. And I and I, I know uh, you remember Trevor Project used to have the thing. Um, I'm glad I'm glad I failed at, at suicide. Trigger alert. Sorry. Um, because I've kind of faced that and I've faced all these different things. When I go toe to toe with people in Silicon Valley, I'm just like, Phew. like call me when this is hard. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like wake me up when when this is life or death because. Uh, I've just seen so much. And ultimately, I don't think I would have gotten through those four years or those three years of no's. And then the last four years of, I mean, sometimes I will lose a million dollar deal the day it was supposed to be wired. I mean, really ups and downs. I don't think I would made it through if I didn't know how many people were going to be positively affected if I got to the finish line. Hmm. And so when you have someone else to to dream with and for, it changes everything. And that can be like a child, which I don't have, or it can be like the people with you in a movement. For you, it's your, I, I have to assume it's your, your audience. The people have come up to you, no doubt, and told you you've helped them uh, avoid a suicide attempt, or you've helped them come out to their families, et cetera, et cetera. Those things kind of, kind of supersede everything else at the darkest times. Yes. Definitely. I mean, I also, I always think that I'm like making art for my, for my little self. It's mm-hmm. like there's a time travel. This is, I've invented time travel and it's spend the rest of your life telling your younger self that she's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and I, um, but it sounds like something that you, something I'm gleaning from what you're saying is that maybe your self-esteem is not always on the line with every deal that you make or with every day and so that is something yeah. that I think, you know, for folks who who are queer, um, you know, that I think that that is something that um, not all of us have. You know, like I think some of us don't have that innate sense of self-esteem because we did have yeah. to fight so hard. And it yeah. sounds like for you, it worked to kind of create this source it inside created, of you and yeah. from your mom. You created to, like a superpower. It was, yeah. I definitely was bullied. I definitely had... Just you know, ups and downs when it came to being gay, and in particular, also when it came to being poor. You know, I didn't wear the right clothes, and my hair was always a mess, and it was this whole thing. So I had all of that, um, and yeah, I guess you know, you either become, you either like really kind of withdraw within yourself, and you believe that the outside voices, or you find something that taps, you tap into something internally. And I always say, if you can't tap into it internally yourself just yet, feel free to borrow some of mine, my self-esteem. Please feel free to. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, oh, you are great. <laughs> well, I, we're all we're all fantastic, and, and we're, go- we're going to make it. I know that for sure. <laughs> 
I'm sensitive to um, your time, and I know that you have to head out. And I wanted to just ask you, before you go back into your day, if you would shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you can be the uh, successful and, and I mean, like, human— you're incredibly impressive. I know you, well, thank you must hear that all the time, but even just in the way that you speak. I, I love you. the way that you speak. Well, thank you. That's so wonderful from, from someone who speaks for a living. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a queer um, ooh, 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 ooh. Give me a second. Yeah, you got the time. Um, the people I think about, it's so funny because the, people, the first people who come to mind are women of color who are not out. And so it's hard, you know, so I can, I'll, I'll, I'll just skip over them, but it's kind of like um, maybe just, a, it could be an interesting answer is that it's sometimes it's not the people who have been the boldest. Now you can talk about an Ellen for sure all day. She really did change multiple lives, but there's sometimes people who, who can't, who'll never maybe in their lifetime be able to, be the you know the outward facing hero um but just in their existence and then they're staying in the fight and staying alive um has quietly been an inspiration and i think the first two people that come to mind are those wow i have not had that answer yet hmm. on the podcast and i love that um i love that read and you know hmm. that that view on that on that person yes i think about you know what i think i think about that every time it is um like a Veterans Day sort of a thing or Memorial Day. That is always the first people on my mind mm. are, mm-hmm. are service members who have not historically been able to be out or who do not feel that they can be out today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, um, yeah, I mean, I literally, it always gives me a real, like, I don't know, um, like an open heart. I was going to say a broken heart, but it really mm. actually is an open heart. They're both you know? the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They are both the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, poetry right at the end. <laughs> um, c- can you just record right now? And Matt, can you leave it recording? Can you tell me the name of it and, I'm, and where pe- folks yeah. can order it? So I have a book that's in pre-order right now. It's called It's About Damn Time. Uh, it's a memoir, inspirational, hopefully, and business book. And it will come out May 5th, 2020. You can pre-order it today at prh.com slash it's about damn time. Arlen, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. And I um, I hope to talk to you soon. Awesome.